you, bless you. Amen. Why don't you switch me over and put the screen down, Corey, please? Today I want to talk to you about three dangerous words. Three dangerous words uh, is what I want to talk to you about this morning. In the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about living together as free men and women in Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, I ended with this quote. I said, no man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. To reinforce the fact that we do not live our faith in isolation. We live it uh, in relationship with one another. And then last week, I ended with this quote. I said, put a higher value on keeping unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion when it comes to eating meat versus vegetarianism, fasting, not fasting on a given day, or about diet in general. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. That first part of that quote, put a higher value on keeping unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion. This is hard for opinionated people. How many opinionated people have we got here? Come on, you can put up your hand. I'm one of them. Sure, I have strong opinions, and I know mine are right, and yours are probably wrong. But, but that's what it means to be opinionated, right? And, uh, but then when you get that revelation that relationship is more important than my opinions and keeping unity in the faith is more important than my opinions, it's a liberating, liberating truth. Well, this morning I want to continue to talk about living together uh, by His grace. But I want to focus on who we are as believers and zero in on three words that describe uh, us as believers. And these three words, when they're taken out of context and applied inappropriately, they can be damaging to your walk with Christ. They can even be uh, dangerous to your walk with Christ. All right. So let's start with answering the question, who am I? What does the Bible say about you? Who am I? Who are you and I? Well, we're salt, light, sons, daughters, disciples, saints, friends, servants, slaves, heirs, the righteousness of God, uh, the redeemed, the saved, born again. You could probably find lots of other ones in the Bible. It's not an exhaustive list by any means, but they all describe me as a believer, right? These are descriptors of who I am, who you are, right? And every one of them is a solid biblical term. Now, uh, there are three words that I left off that list. There are three words I left off that list. And this is them. The church, the bride, and the body. Everybody say the church, the bride, and the body. There's the three words that I left off. And um, all three of these words are also biblical descriptors uh, of us as believers. Uh, I am salt, light, sons, daughters, etc. But I, everybody say I, I, I am not the body. I am not the bride. I am not the church. I'm not. These are all describers who we are. And this morning I want to show you how that when you take those three terms which are used to describe us as believers, and you move them from their context of we, and you place them on just me, they become uh, words which are actually very damaging to your walk with Christ, and I, I'll give you examples of it, and can actually be dangerous 
when they're in the wrong hands. And so we need to be affirmed uh, that these words are indeed biblical, uh, that these words are uh, for each and every one of us, but these words, the church, the bride, uh, the body, can only be applied to us together. Everybody say together. They cannot be applied to you and I as an individual believer. They can only be applied to us together. And when we get this out of context, we end up with trouble. So everybody say this with me. I am not the church. Say that. We are the church. I am not the bride. We are the bide. Look at that. That's good, Kevin. (laughs) I am not the body. We are the body. We are the body. Amen? And if we get this uh, out of order, then we're in trouble. Now, when these images are applied to the believer individually, they undermine the metaphor. And I'll explain that as we go along this morning. They actually undermine the metaphor. And they can be counterproductive uh, to our Christian growth. They can become dangerous. Dangerous. Whoo! All right. Everybody say amen. All right. Okay. So let's start with the first word, the church. The church. When my kids were growing up, we used to get a lot of poppy Christian music for them, right? We'd get little cassette tapes. You guys remember what those things were? And uh, we had, Ryan, I think it was, had this Fisher-Price cassette tape player. It was, you could drop it down the stairs. You couldn't break it. You know what I mean? It was one of those ones. You could, they could hit each other with it. It wouldn't break. Right? It was, it was that indestructible. And you could stick the tape in that, and you could just push play, and, you know, and that thing would go all day long. And I'm telling you, I know you can't break because they did throw it down the stairs. Brian probably did hit both of his siblings with it. Uh, you know, it was that indestructible. And it was in, in his room, and we used to play these, like, really, you know, to be perfectly honest with they're really terrible Christian pop music. <laughs> just, just being honest. And uh, they weren't particularly well written, uh, but they were cute, and they had Bible stories to them and everything else. And one of those songs, one of those songs was, uh, you know, uh, you can't go to church because the church is you. Right? That was one of the poppy songs. And uh, it was one of those things like, it was kind of like the song that never ends. You know what I mean? And once it got in your head, you couldn't get it out. Even as I was, you know, writing this message out, I, that song popped in my head, and it bugged me all day long. It was, you know, that you just irritates you. Get under your skin, and uh, you, you can't go to church, uh, church because the church is you. Now, I understand what the, that they were trying to say, but the reality is that uh, to say that um, you can't go to church because the church is me, I am the church, is actually unbiblical. It's not true. The song should be, you can't go to church because the church is us, right? Not the church is you. And uh, because it, it's simply not true. And, I, and you might say, well, you're, you're, you're splitting hair, hairs. Well, before we, you know, you get too hard on me about that. Um, the word church appears 107 times in the New Testament. Virtually always a translation of the word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. And... Uh, Ecclesia is that word that we translate church uh, in the New Testament. It's in 107 times that it's there. 
And, and how many times in 107 is it used to refer to an individual? None. Not once is it used to refer to an individual Christian. It is always used to refer to a body of believers here, group of believers here, the whole church. I mean, every single reference is, is about a plural group of people. It is never, ever, ever used to an individual. If Paul was writing to an individual, he would say to Timothy, to this person. But he was writing to church, he would say to the church. And then he would go on to the believers in Christ Jesus in this town, in that town. Always, always, always used in reference to a group of people. Now that group could have been a small group that met in someone's house. Or it could have been a great big group that was so large they met in a gathering. And a guy sitting in the window listening to the sermon fell asleep and fell out, right? Uh, but it was always a reference to a group. In fact, it could even be a reference to the whole church of Jesus Christ as a whole is the church. But it was never a reference to individuals. Now, this is a very, very, very significant truth. And as I won't go through all the scriptures, but there are so many of them that we could look up, 107 of them, so I won't bother doing that today. But suffice it to say that uh, the church is the group of believers, the body of believers, the family of believers. And every single verse that speaks to that makes it abundantly clear that when the Bible's speaking about the church, it's speaking about us together. It's speaking about we. It's not speaking about me. You know, despite this being true, you can go all over, especially the continent of North America, and you can find lots of people who have completely disenfranchised themselves from the body, cut themselves off, and they'll tell you, well, you know, I'm the church, so you don't need to go to church because, you know, we're the church, and they'll point at themselves because we're the church. And I, I, can, I can live out my Christianity uh, on my own. No, you can't. No, you can't. There's no way you can make that argument from Scripture that you, as an individual believer, just walking along doing your thing, outside of relationship with the body of Christ, are the church. Because you're not. You're not. And uh, this is, is very, very important for us to grasp. You and I are not the church. We are the church. Everybody say, we are the church. We are the church. And when we get this off course, when we get this thing skewed in our head and in our spirit, we begin to, to live our faith uh, in, in this type of, well, I'm the one that's right, everybody else is wrong. And, and we start to live our faith in this place where um, my ideas become almost God's ideas. And we start to shape our Heavenly Father into our image. That's how dangerous it becomes when you see yourself, the individual, as a church. The reality is if we don't see us as the church, then we miss out on so much of who he is. Because my understanding of God is, is as diverse as all the people that I know who are in him. Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? And so I get a more complete picture of God when I see God as it, me and, and Andrew walking together. As when I see it as me and Mary walking together. When, when I, I see it as us as a family walking together, I get a more complete picture of who God is because I see him in every other person in the body of Christ. And we together become 
the church. We are the church. The minute you attempt to live your faith in isolation from the community of believers, you are no longer the church. You're an orphan. You're no longer the church. You're an orphan. We have spent so much time talking in this church about dealing with our orphan spirit and our culture and all that kind of stuff. And yet, when people walk around and say, well, no, I'm the church. As soon as you make that declaration and you see yourself as living out your Christianity without living in a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, you are a self-professing orphan. Well, that's kind of harsh. It's truth. It's the truth. There is no me, the church. There's only we, the church. Amen? All right, is everybody following me so far? Awful quiet this morning. Wow. Let's move on to the next one. All right. The bride. The bride. Um, how many have ever been to Toronto Airport uh, Christian Fellowship? All right. Or Catch the Fire, as I think it's called now. Um, originally it was Toronto Airport Vineyard. Uh, fellowship, but when the, the when the Toronto blessing was poured out back in the 1990s, there and uh, there was a tremendous move of God. People from all over the world came, and many were healed and touched and delivered and set free and reignited in their faith and all the rest of it. And I must confess, there was a lot of stuff that went on there that was flesh too. <gasps> really? Well, yes, of course. Any place God shows up, flesh shows up with it because we bring it in every time we walk through the door. You know. Really? Yes. Even something as simple as dancing or clapping or whatever it can be can be just purely spirit and can also be just you having a good time, right? And so that happened, Toronto Report. So it got well known for uh, what was it? People claimed that people were barking and all kinds of other things and stuff like that. And so you'd have preachers write the whole thing off because of manifestations that people did or things that were going on. But but you know what? I I used to explain it this way as somebody who's done a lot of wiring in my day. And I've had more than a few jolts with electricity. How many have ever been shocked? Now, I've been shocked quite a few times. And uh, it kind of goes with the hazard of the job. And, um, and probably because I don't always turn the power off when I'm fixing something because it just would be too much of a nuisance. So I just do it anyway, right? And uh, so anyhow, I've, I've been shocked a few times. Probably the worst one was in the foyer out here. Uh, at the church, uh, where I got electrocuted so bad that my hair was singed, and it smelled like you know when you're you're singeing the hairs off a chicken, you know when anybody ever used to do that in the farm people here, yeah, that's what it smelled like. But uh, that was a bad one. That was a bad one. But um, anyway, the point that I'm getting at is that when it came to electricity, you know, I was one of those people that if I got a shock, I'm... but I've seen other people get shocked and go like that, right? Now. Both of them experienced the same power, the same electricity. One person was just, the other person's, ah, you know. And, and I think the Holy Spirit's the same way. You get some people who have their response is just maybe tears or just hands up raised. Just, oh, God, you're so wonderful. And other people just can't contain themselves. And, and uh, it's all God, but it's also all us. Does everybody follow that? Make any sense to anybody? But there was also some other weird stuff I saw at Toronto Airport. And probably the weirdest one that I saw were the bunch of young ladies came in, all dressed in army fatigues and wearing bridal headdresses and T-shirts that said, Warrior Brides. 
Warrior Brides. And I remember looking at that go, what? That's a little weird. That's a little weird. I thought that was odd. And uh, again, I get what they're trying to communicate, that they saw themselves as the bride of Christ, but they're also soldiers for Christ, engaged in spiritual warfare, etc. Uh, but here's the interesting point. Here's the interesting point. Did you know the term bride of Christ is not in the Bible? Some of you are like, it is too. No, it's not. You can pull out your little, you know, programs right now and try it. Nope, not there. We know we talk so much about the bride of Christ. Oh, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's not even in the Bible. Some of you I know it or just can't wait to get home on your computer and do a search. But it's true. It's true. The phrase, the bride of Christ, is not even in the Bible. Now, in Revelations 19 through uh, 21, you'll see uh, the term, the, the bride, or the wife, I should say, of Christ. His, his wife, but, and it actually talks about it being connected to the New Jerusalem, and people like to, you know, but it doesn't say bride, it says wife, and the Greek words are actually different, wife and bride. All right? So the term, that phrase, the bride of Christ that everybody, you know, loves to quote, isn't even in the scripture. Now, Relax, relax. Uh, even though the term isn't in the scripture, the metaphor is still valid. The metaphor is still a very biblical metaphor. And it is a biblical metaphor that is easy to get out of the scripture because it does talk about us in those kinds of uh, ways. Uh, John the Baptist used the analogy of Christ uh, being the bridegroom and his people, the bride, and John being the friend of the bridegroom, right? Uh, John uh, 3.29 says, He who... Has the bride as the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Paul compares the union of Christ and his church to that of a husband and a wife, and he speaks of his desire to present the church to uh, Christ as his betrothed. So the idea that the language is certainly all through Scripture, and I won't read all those verses, but there's a number of them there that reinforce the concept that as the people of God, we are the bride of Christ, even though the term itself is not in the Bible. But here's the thing. Again, you and I are not the bride. We are the bride. Again, the, the context of the word is never applied to the individual. And, 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 you know, in the Catholic Church years ago, I mean, many of the nuns, they used to wear wedding rings because they were considered themselves to be married to Christ. And I even had one young lady who was just so adamant that, that she was not to get married and that God had called her to be married to him. And she took the whole bride of Christ concept and individualized it to herself, that she was being married to Christ. And she even got weird talking about some of the intimate times that her and Jesus had. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Too much information. Too much information. It gets weird when you apply the term individually. It gets weird. It's not meant to be applied individually. Nowhere in scripture is it applied individually. I'm not the bride. You aren't the bride. We are the bride. Do you hear me this morning? And this is important. And you, you say you're, you're just splitting hairs. No, I'm not. This is so important. Because again, it becomes a counterproductive term when you take the metaphor out of its context and you try to apply it to yourself. You start thinking weird thoughts. You start acting strange. It's, it's not to be applied that way. It's only applicable to us. We are the bride. 
We are the bride. And, and when it's applied to us, it's a beautiful picture of the affection that Christ has for his church. It's incredible. And it's solidly biblical. So, individually, you are a son, his daughter, his brother even, but not his bride. You and I are not the bride. We are the bride. Say, we are the bride. We are the bride. All right, last one. All right, the body, the body. This is another fantastic metaphor that's used to describe the people of God. And uh, this one probably is, is, is next to church, is probably the next most common uh, term used to describe us. And you don't count too many believers that walk around saying, I'm the body, I'm the body. That, that part of it kind of breaks down pretty easy, so they don't, they don't you see them doing that. However, unfortunately, I repeatedly witness people all the time uh, who fail to embrace themselves as part of the body. That they live their lives, as I mentioned, when it comes to church in isolation from one another. And uh, the idea that you can live your faith out that way is simply not scriptural. It's not scriptural. Let me read you some verses. Romans 12, 4. For as we have many members in one body. How many members? Many members in one body. But all the members do not have the same function. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And then I want to put these verses up on on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 12 again, starting at verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is, there, uh, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Uh, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would uh, be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Uh, No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, there are lots of other verses, tons of them, that refer to the people of God as being the body. But I find it interesting that uh, Paul deals with this notion of going it alone in your Christian faith very specifically through this metaphor. And he gets really, he drills right down into it, where he starts talking about the different ways in which we are designed. So then these are kind of eight points I get from it, right here. He says, every believer is an individual part of the body. Say, I'm part of the body. So every believer is part of the body. We're not the body, we're part of the body. And he says, not every part can be the same as the other part. So he talks about eyes, ears, noses, he uses those physical parts, but his point is, we all have a different role to play in the body, right? Uh, No one part, he says, is more important than any other part, right? So sometimes we walk around and, uh, you know, especially if we operate 
in, in like, say, a, a very visible spiritual gift, like being a worship leader or, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, somebody who prophesies or whatever, we start feeling pretty good about ourselves, And we might get thinking that we're better than other people or more valuable than other people. Paul says, no, not true. No one part is more important than another. Then he says, God has set each member in the body as he pleases. So if, if God's made you uh, an, an usher, rejoice. If God's made you, uh, you know, accountant, rejoice. If God has made you to be, uh, you know, somebody who works in, in the nursery, double rejoice. Do you understand what I'm saying? Rejoice because God has put you where he's put you uh, as it pleases him. <clears throat> the members we think weaker are more necessary. What a profound thought. Parts that we think weaker are more necessary. You know, most people would, you know, think uh, of your internal organs as being fairly weak, whereas your arm, oh, you know. But how many know you can live without your arm, but your liver is a little more important, right? You know what I'm saying? And uh, so the truth of the matter is the members that we think weaker are more necessary. And the parts we think less honorable, he's given honor. All right? He's given honor. Uh, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. That's a profound truth. If one part suffers, we all suffer. And then he says, if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. These are, are statements that Paul's trying to show you how you can't live out your faith in isolation from one another. Because you're all part of one big body. We all have individual roles to play. We all have different uh, parts to contribute to the whole. That's who we are. We are the body. Now, four things I want you to consider from this. First of all, if a body loses a member part, it will likely survive. So if I lose a finger or if I lose a, a foot or a leg, uh, you know, I lose a part, I'll probably survive. There's lots of people around who have lost parts of their body, and they survive, right? You know, get your appendix ripped out, get this happen, whatever, right? But here's the thing. If a member or a part loses a body, it will surely die. After your arm gets, you know, severed, your arm doesn't keep moving on the floor and wiggle around and do its thing, like some kind of a horror movie, right? No! Once it's severed, it's dead. It's dead. Are you understand what I'm saying this morning? So the point is simply this. You know, if you cut yourself off from the body, it will likely survive. I know you're pretty important, and I know you're highly skilled, and there's no one quite like you. Right, Des? Did you see his T-shirt this morning? It says, sorry, not everybody can be me. <laughs> I love it, you know, and it's true. Not everybody can be you, but the reality is if you uh, decide to pull yourself out of the body, the body's probably going to survive, but guess what? You won't. This is the lie, the great lie of the enemy on the North American Christian community. We've got so many people disenfranchising themselves from the body, trying to live their faith in isolation. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. God did not design the body to work that way. He didn't design the body to work that way. You need to be part of the body. Why? Well, for the main reason, you need somebody to be in your life and in your face and helping correct you. Oh, I thought you were going to say I need somebody in my life to love me. 
that's true. You need that too. But, you know, in order to be all that you can be, you need people to help you steer that ship and direct it. You need, people, you need to let somebody into your life where they can just say, dude, not good, not good. And in so doing that, we allow ourselves the opportunity to grow. You also need to be loved. You also need to be cared for. You need to be encouraged. You need to be built up. You need to also be those things for other people. That's how the body works. When you live in an isolation, you're none of those things. You receive none of those things. You're unable to give those things. All right. The parts that we think weaker are more necessary. You can get by without a hand, as I said, but you can't get by without a liver. This truth is really important because a lot of times we see certain giftings as being really important and we don't realize that probably some of the most important people in this church you don't see doing anything in here in this auditorium on a Sunday morning. People serving in the nursery, people, you know, doing uh, greeting, first person you come in contact with when you come through those doors, people working in kids' church, people shaping the minds of another generation to come. So valuable. And probably week after week after week, I mean, how often do you see Pastor Mark and Rhonda getting a break to be in here? They're down there pouring into a generation coming up everything that they've got extremely valuable, extremely valuable. Does everybody know what I'm saying? And so we, we see that, and we don't recognize that, that we look at, so, well, it's just the children's ministry. It's just the nursery. Do you know how important it is that when somebody is able to take that child in the nursery and take care of it, and the mom or dad is able to come in and, and receive in the service, and for that, for that hour... They, they're able to focus on what God is, is speaking or saying to them. It's invaluable. Ask that parent how valuable that is. And how important that ministry is to be done well and to be done with excellence and to be done with compassion and love. It means everything to that parent. Does everybody know what I'm talking about this morning? All right. Finally, God made us this way that there should be no division in the body. And so that we would have the same care for one another. Why did he design us all differently? So that there'd be no division. There wouldn't be, you know, remember how Paul said uh, he, he came after the church in Corinth because some were saying, I follow Paul. Some were saying, I follow Apollos, right? And Paul said, neither me or Apollos or, or anything. It's only, we're all in Christ, right? And the idea that when we see ourselves as being part of all one body, the body of Christ, when we're able to get a hold of that, then it, it eliminates division in the body. Because no longer do we see ourselves, one being more important than another. We see ourselves instead as being servants to one another. Uh, encouragers of one another. People who build one another up. That's what Christ has called us to be. And he also said so that we would have the same care one for another. When you understand the previous three points, then loving that person whom... You know, they're there faithfully greeting every Sunday, but they're not the worship leader. They're not that person. They're not one of the pastors, you know. Uh, but they're just, they're just somebody who's faithful working the foyer every Sunday. What a, an absolutely amazing ministry. And when you see how valuable that is, and you honor that, people serving in the cafe make me a caramel macchiato every Sunday. You have no idea how the ministry of caramel macchiato is important to this guy. 
especially when, like last night, I could not sleep for some reason. I was up still at 4 in the morning. When I came in and drank an extra shot espresso, caramel macchiato today, good to go. Good to go. Get that jolt. I'm on my way. That ministry, important. Otherwise, you're up here talking like this is boring. But cafe people, mmm, every part working together to make things happen. And so when we can understand that uh, we have the same care for a person in the cafe as we have for a person who's working uh, nursery, who's working ushering, who's worship leading, and, and, and they're all valuable, and we care for them all the same, it is powerful, and the body of Christ works. Because there are people coming in here who don't know who they are. They don't know what their gifts are. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts this fall. They don't know what their abilities are. They don't know that they're loved. They don't know that, they're, that they've you know, been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. They don't know these things about themselves. And so when they come in here and they experience the same love and affection upon them and themselves as upon anybody else that's here, already barrier number one is broken. I'm loved. I'm loved. When the first wall comes down, I'm loved. Now you can start listening and opening up to the second or third wall to come down. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? This is how it happens. When we recognize that we are the body. We are the body. So, you and I are not the body. We are the body. We are the body. Let me just conclude this morning. If there is no we, there is no church, there is no bride, there is no body. If there is no we, then we don't have a church, we don't have a bride, we don't have a body. They only exist if we have we. They only exist with we. Now, some of you might hear it this morning, might be saying, you know, uh, but, Pastor, you have no idea how difficult it is to break in, to, uh, you know, to be part of we. You know what? I understand. Sometimes it can be very difficult. Uh, as human beings, we have a propensity. Everybody say propensity. To be clicky. I know clicks are terrible things. No, they're natural things. It's natural that you enjoy hanging out with some people and other people not so much. It's natural. Didn't say it was spiritual. I said it's natural. And so I'm not telling you that, oh, you know, being uh, clicky is evil. No, I'm saying it's natural. It's, it's like a default setting on your spirit. Right? We all have it. We all have this default setting that we're more comfortable with some people than we are with others. Isn't that true? If it isn't true, you're lying through your teeth, right? It's true. But what we need to do is accept the challenge of the Spirit to always be opening ourselves to enlarge our community. We should never have a closed-off spirit about community. And it's challenging because, like I said, our natural propensity is to be uh, clicky. But it's not a spiritual propensity, it's a natural propensity. 
So we need to break out of the natural, right? In other words, out of the soul and into the spirit so that we can be uh, more accommodating, more loving, more compassionate to those that we encounter. And lo and behold, some of those people that you, you step out of your comfort zone and you start to, to you know, develop relationship with can become some of the best friends you ever had. And it didn't happen just like that, but it happened because you were purposeful about it. And if we're going to grow the kingdom of God, if we're going to see the body reach its full potential as we, then every one of the members needs to do its part to be more open and more uh, encouraging and more accommodating to uh, an ever-increasing number of relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have friends that are closer than others. And I'm not one of these preachers going to stand up and tell you that that's not right, that you shouldn't have that. It's natural again that you're going to have that. But we always need to be willing to open up and take in more into our heart. Everybody say more. And if we'll do that, if we start right here, just turn your head and look around. Look behind you. Look at who's in this room right now. The Bible says, and the world will know that we are Christians by our love what? So it just starts right here. It's not any more complicated than that. You just see the people in this room and you go, I can do that. I can do that. And then when you see new people come in, make sure that you make them feel welcome. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. And if you've been here for, you know, six months or six years and you're like, well, nobody ever pays any attention to me, get over yourself. I'm just being straight with you again. It's time for you to do the reaching out thing. It's time for you to be the one who starts the conversations. It's time for you. You've been a Christian any longer than, you know, a year, let's say. You know, hello. It's time for you to get dug in, get your feet planted, and you be the person that's welcoming new life into your heart, into your home, into your space, and ministering to others. If you're like a Christian for 40 years and, you know, you walk in and you're like, nobody talked to me. Oh, please. Grow up. You know, the pastor went around and he hugged 25 people today and I wasn't one of them. So? Maybe you had little prickly points sticking all out and nobody wanted to hug you. Pull the quills in. Maybe it'd be a little easier. <laughs> Point that I'm getting at is that You know, you need to just see beyond yourself and give yourself to other people. Because if every one of us is sitting there going, you know, I'm just waiting for somebody to come to me, nothing ever happens. Remember what Ken Gill told us a long time ago. The mark of maturity is the willingness not to be first, but to go first. It's not the, it's not, the need to be first, it's the willingness to go first. So when I go to a new environment, new church, whatever, you know, you'd think I was on the greeting team because I worked the foyer. You know, I'm meeting people, I'm shaking hands with people, I'm working the room. And you might say, well, that's easy because you're outgoing. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm outgoing when I'm operating in my gifting, but in my, in my personal life, Mike knows what I'm talking about, I'm a hardcore introvert. You are not. Yes, I am. I could sit at home and watch Star Trek for hours. All by myself. 
Just want to live all by myself, all alone. I, could, I enjoy my company. Right, Mike? Oh, oh, see, Mike and I, we get along so great together because we know it. And we could not talk for six months and we wouldn't go, I wonder if Mike's offended with me. No, I just know he's enjoying himself and I'm enjoying myself. And it's all good. But there's something about the nature of Christ which causes me to look beyond that propensity to be, you know, fine. It just, I mean, I could sit and read all day. Ask my wife. I could just sit and read all day. Keep the food, keep the water coming, whatever. Uh, as long as I'm fed and lubricated, I'll just keep reading. <laughs> Anybody else like that? Seriously, I just love it. I love it. I told somebody that I read 60 or more books a year. They said, you do not. I said, yeah, I do. It's a sickness, but I can't help myself. Because I love to read. Got cable hooked up two months ago. and haven't even turned on the TV and watched any of it yet. I only took it because they forced me. It was such a good deal. <laughs> Don't worry, when football season starts, I'll turn it on. But so far, I haven't had any compulsion to have to look at it. But I've read, you know, I don't know how many books since I got it hooked up a couple months ago. The point that I'm getting at is that there's a tendency in every one of us to have our default settings. And mine, my default setting is isolationism. So when Christ touched my life, I started becoming this extrovert. And I have become things that I was not raised with. I was raised in a home where, you know, I don't think my parents, that I can remember ever communicating that they love me. And I'm not saying that as a victim. I'm just saying it as a fact. And uh, we didn't hug we didn't do those kinds of things. So when we got married, uh, we decided our house was going to be a house full of huggers. So we're, we're huggers. We're, we're, we're people who are in your face. We are, we are like really a relational kind of people. But it wasn't the default setting of my home. It was something that I purposed in Christ to be. So we can all purpose to be more. Everybody say more. We can purpose to be more. All right. If there is no we, then there's no church, there's no bride, and there's no body. They only exist in we. Does everybody understand that this morning? They only exist in we. What's the point today? Well, this, if this was Sesame Street, I would say this. Today's episode was brought to you by the number three and the word we. Today's episode brought to you by the number three. No church, no bride, no body without today's word. We. Isn't that good? Welcome to Sesame Street. It's pretty simple. Brought to you by the word we. Spelt W-E. All right? Let's stand together this morning. <laughs> oh. For the three people in the room who never watched Sesame Street, Every episode's brought to you by a number and brought to you by a word. That's the way they do it, right? Or a letter, yeah. Been a while. But uh, that's what today is. Amen? Uh, church, I just want to encourage you. Um, you're all good people. And we, we're going to see, you know, some great music. We're going to hear some great preaching when... Will's in town, and the team's working really hard with us. But all of that means absolutely nothing if we 
don't invite people out. And you're going to have to get outside yourself to do it. You're going to have to just lay down all of your issues and lay down all of your stuff and just come together as a we, which the city is doing in a phenomenal way, and, and go we. We can do this, right? And we're going to see, uh, I think, thousands of people come to the, uh, to the arena for those three days, but they're going to come because they got invited. When we were in St. John's, there was nearly, I think, 10,000 people came over the three days. 10,000 people. And there was six or 100 or more decisions made for Christ during that time. And on the Monday after, they get together and they, they divide up the nuns. And you're like, the what? On the Monday after, I went to the meeting and they divide up the nuns. The nuns are the people who, when they filled out the card, had no one that invited them. So out of the 600 people that responded to the gospel and who gave their lives to Christ, there was less than 20 nuns that had to be divvied up the next day on the Monday after the whole weekend. And so they, they did that based on age and where they lived. And this pastor, that's in my area. I'll go, I'll go visit that person. Follow up. Less than 20. And then I said, wow, that's a small number. And they said, that's exactly the way it should be. That number should be really small because if we're doing this right, we're inviting people to come. And when they fill out the card, they say, I was invited by... And guess who does the follow-up? The person who invited them. It's a crazy idea, I know. But that's how they have it down. So uh, less than 20 people were what they called the nuns. Had no, no one that brought them. All the rest, the 600, were invited by a friend. And they found Christ. Isn't that awesome? So we're going to have to invite people. Some of you are like, <gasps> hyperventilating already. I can see the terror in your face. But trust me, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. And as we invite people, and people come, the Holy Spirit does the rest of it. Right? It's the Spirit's job to do the rest of it. You get them there, and then that night, leave it up to Holy Spirit. And if they go forward, then you can kick back into gear afterwards with follow-up. But on that night, just leave it with the Holy Spirit. Leave it with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I could go on yammering all night, but I don't want to do that. Father, I just thank you so much for this group of we. We are the church. We are his bride. We are the body. And there isn't one person in this room that's less important than somebody else. There isn't one person in this room who who is not needed in the body. And Father, there's not one person in this room that can survive without the body. Because we need the body to encourage us, to build us up, but we also need the body to test us, to challenge us, to uh, strengthen us, and to drive us to be more in Christ. Father, I thank you today that you have called us together, that we, we here this morning, can make a difference. We here this morning can change our city. We, joined with all of the other we's in this community, can make a huge difference. And Father, I thank you for that understanding, that revelation today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord bless you. Have an awesome day. All of you, we are great. Amen.